My Favorite Theorem, a podcast that starts with math and goes all kinds of weird places. I'm Kevin Knudsen, professor of mathematics at the University of Florida, and here is your other host. Hi, I'm Evelyn Lamb. I'm a freelance math and science writer in Salt Lake City. Happy New Year, Kevin. And to you too, Evelyn. So uh, our this, this will happen, this will get out there in the public later, but today is January 1st, 2019. And um, yes, it is. And Evelyn tells me that it was, it's cold in Utah and I have my air conditioning on. So that, yes. that, that seems about right. Um, yeah. Our, our high is supposed to be 20 today and the low is uh, six or seven. So we really, really don't have the air conditioner on. Yeah. It's going to be 82 here today in Gainesville. <laughs> I have flip flops yeah. on. So it's uh yeah, it's, yeah it's, I'm a little jealous. <laughs> uh, this is one. It's not so bad to live in Florida, I got to say. So yeah. anyway, well, today we are pleased to uh, welcome Robert Greist. Uh, Rob, you want to introduce yourself? Hello, this is Robert Greist. And say something about yourself a little, like who you are. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, I am a professor of mathematics and electrical and systems engineering at the University of Pennsylvania. This is in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I've been in this position at this wonderful school for a decade now. Uh, previous to that, I had tenured positions at University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign and uh, Georgia Institute of Technology. So you've been around. A little bit. Oh, and, and so I was just wondering, so is that a joint appointment between two different departments or is it all in the math department? This is a split appointment, not only between two different departments, but between two different schools. Oh, uh, the wow. math appointment is in the School of Arts and Sciences, and the engineering appointment is in the School of Engineering. This is a uh, kind of a tricky sort of position to work out. Uh, this is one of the things that I love about the University of Pennsylvania is there are very low walls between the disciplines. And a, a, a sort of creative position like this is is very workable, and I love that. Yeah, and your undergraduate degree was actually in engineering, right? That's correct. I got turned on to math by my calculus professor, a swell guy by the name of Henry Wente, geometer. Excellent. Well, I see, and you're you're continuing the tradition. We'll we'll talk about that later. Um, and actually, you you actually have an endowed chair named for someone rather famous, right? That's true. The full title is the Andrea Mitchell uh, PIK Professor of Mathematics and Electrical and Systems Engineering. This is Andrea Mitchell from NBC News. She and her husband, Alan Greenspan, uh, funded this position. Did not uh, intend to hire me specifically or a mathematician. I think she was rather surprised when the uh, chair that she endowed wound up going to a mathematician, but there it is. We get along swell. She's great. Nice. Nice. That's really interesting. <laughs> yep. So, Rob, uh, what is your favorite theorem? My favorite theorem is, I I don't know. I don't know the name. <laughs> I don't I don't know that this theorem has a name, but I I love this theorem. I use this theorem all the time in all the classes I teach. It seems. It's a, it's a funny theorem about uh, basically Taylor expansion or Taylor series, but in an operator theoretic language. And the, the theorem, roughly speaking, goes like this. If you take the differentiation operator on functions, let, let's say um, just single input, single output functions, the kind of things you do in, in basic calculus class, call the differentiation operator D. 
consider the relationship between that operator and the shift operator. I'm gonna call the shift operator E. This is the operator that takes a function F and then just shifts the input by one. So E of F at X is really E, pardon me, E of F at X is really F evaluated at X plus one. We use shift. I need a pencil and paper. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> we use the shift operator all the time in signal processing, in all kinds of things, in both mathematics and uh, engineering. And here's the theorem. Here's the theorem. There's this wonderful relationship between these two operators. And it's the following. If you exponentiate the differentiation operator, if you take e to the d, you get the shift operator. This is remarkable. What does this mean? I what actually, does this mean? What, I, yeah, what does it mean? I, I actually did work this out once. So our, what our listeners don't know is that you and I actually had this conversation once um, <laughs> in, a, in a bar in Philadelphia, and the, the audio quality was so bad, we're having to redo this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I went home and I worked this out. Uh, and it's true, it does work out. So, so, but what does this mean, Rob? It's sort of, you know, in, in, a, in a manifestation uh, physically. Yeah, so um, let me back up. The first question that I ask students when they show up in calculus class at my university is, is what is e to the x? What does that even mean? Mm. What does that mean when x is an irrational number or an imaginary number or something like a square matrix or an operator? And of course, that takes us back to the, the, the interpretation of exponentiation in terms of the Taylor series at zero, that I take that infinite series and I, I use that to define what exponentiation means. And because things like operators, things like differentiations or shifts, you can take powers of those by composition, by iteration, and you can rescale them, then you can exponentiate them. So I can, I can talk about what it means to exponentiate the differentiation operator by taking uh, first d to the zero, which of course is the identity, the do nothing operator, and then adding to it d, and then adding to that d squared divided by two factorial, that's the second derivative, then d cubed divided by three factorial, that's the third derivative. If I keep going, I've exponentiated the differentiation operator, and the theorem is that this is the shift operator in disguise. And the proof is one line, it's Taylor expansion, right. and there you go. Now, this isn't your typical sort of my favorite theorem in that I haven't listed all the hypotheses. I haven't been careful with anything at all. But one of the reasons that this is my favorite theorem is because it's so useful when I'm teaching calculus to students, when I'm teaching basic dynamical systems to students, where, you know, in a more advanced class, yeah, we'd have a lot of hypotheses and, oh, let's be careful. But when you're first starting out, first trying to figure out what is differentiation, what is exponentiation, this is a great little theorem. Yeah, this conceptual um, trip going between uh, the Taylor series, or, or I guess going between the idea of x e to the x or, or 2 to the x or something where we really have a you know, a fairly good grasp of what exponentiation means in that case if, we, if we're talking about squares or something like that. Um, and, and going then to uh, the Taylor series, this very formal thing, I think that's a really hard conceptual shift. I know that was really hard for me. Agreed. So, yeah, so I, I, I wonder though, I mean, so 
what's a good application of this theorem like in a dynamics class for example like why where does this pop up sort of naturally i mean i can see that it works but but and, and i also agree that this idea of i start calculus there too by the way when i when i i'd say you know what does e to the point one mean what does that even mean you know, what does it even mean? Yeah, and 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 that's a that's a good question that students have never really thought about. They're just used to punching point one into a calculator and hitting the e to the x key and calling it a day. Um, so, but but where would this actually show up in practice? Do you have a good example? Right. So when I teach dynamical systems, it's uh, almost exclusively to engineering students. Uh, they're really interested in getting to the practical applications which is a great way to uh, sneak in a bunch of interesting mathematics and really give them some good mathematics education. When doing dynamical systems from an applied point of view, stability is one of the, the most important things that you care about. And one of the big ideas that one has to uh, ingest is that of stability criteria for, let's say, equilibria in a dynamical system. Now there are two types of dynamical systems that people care about, depending on what notion of time you're using, continuous time or discrete time. Mm -hmm. Most books on the subject are written for one or the other type of system. I like to teach them both at once, but one of the challenges of doing that is that the stability criteria are, are different, very different looking. In continuous time, what um, what characterizes a stable equilibrium is when you look at all of the eigenvalues of the linearization, the real parts are less than zero. Mm -hmm. When you move to a discrete time dynamical system that is a mapping, then again, you're looking at eigenvalues of the linearization, but now, now you want the modulus to be less than one. And I find that students always struggle with, uh, why is it different? Uh, why is it this way here and that way there? And of course, of course, the reason is my favorite little theorem, because if I look at the evolution operator in continuous time dynamics, that's the derivative, mm -hmm. versus the evolution operator in discrete time dynamics, that is the shift, move forward one step in time, then, then if I want to know the relationship between the stability and and pardon me, the stable and unstable regions, it is exponentiation. Mm. If I exponentiate the left-hand side of the complex plane, what do I get? I get, the, I get the region in the plane with modulus less than one. Right. I find that students have a real aha moment when they see that relationship and when they can connect it to the relationship between the evolution operators. I'm having an aha moment about this right now, too. This isn't something I had really thought about before. So, yeah, this is a really neat observation or, or theorem. Yeah, I never really see this written down in books. That's well, so that clearly now you should write a book. I mean, uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> another you, one. Well, well, we'll talk about what you're we'll talk about how you spend your time in a little while here. But um, <laughs> no, uh, Rob, I mean, so so Rob has this. I don't know if it's famous, but well-known um, massive open online course through Coursera where he does calculus, and it's spectacular. If if, if our listeners haven't seen it, um, is, is it on YouTube, Rob? Can you actually get it at YouTube now? Yes, yes. Okay. The The University of Pennsylvania has all the lectures posted yeah. on a YouTube well, I, channel. I actually downloaded it to my machine. I took the MOOC a few years ago just for fun, and I passed. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> remarkably. With flying colors. With, with flying, flying colors. colors. Right. Yeah. I'm sure you graded my exam personally, Rob. Personally. Um, uh, and um, anyway, th this is... This is evidence for uh, how lucky your students are, I think, because you know you, you put so much time into this, and these these little aha moments, and and the, the the MOOC is full of these things, just really remarkable stuff, especially that last chapter, which is so next level, the digital calculus stuff, which sort of reminds me of what we're talking about. Um, is is there some connection there? Oh yes, it was creating that uh, portion of the MOOC that uh, really, really got me to do a deep dive into uh, discrete analogs of continuous calculus, looking at uh, the falling powers notation that is popular in computer science, in, in Newth's work and others. Um, thinking in terms of operators, yeah, that, that portion of the MOOC really got me thinking a lot about these sorts of things. Yeah, I, I really can't recommend this highly enough. Um, it's, it's really great. Yeah, so I have not had the benefit of this MOOC yet. Um, so di digital calculus, I, d is that meaning like calculus for computers or, or what exactly is that, in, or what does that mean? One of the things that I found students really got confused about in a basic single variable calculus class is as soon as you hit sequences and series, mm -hmm. the, 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 their heads just explode because they get sequences and series confused with one another, and uh, it all seems unmotivated, and why are we bothering with all these convergence tests, and where'd they come from, all this sort of thing. So, And why is I, it in a calculus class? Why is it even in a calculus class after, after all these derivatives and integrals? So the way that I teach it is uh, when we get to sequences and series at the uh, you know, in the last quarter of the semester, I say, okay, we've done calculus for functions with an analog input and an analog output. Now we want to redo calculus for functions with a digital input and an analog output. And such functions we're going to call sequences. But I'm really just going to think of it as a function. How would you differentiate such a thing? How would you integrate such a thing. That leads one to think about finite differences, which leads to some, some nice approaches to numerical methods. That leads one to looking at uh, sums and numerical integration. And when you get to improper integrals over an unbounded domain, well, that's series and convergence tests matter. Yeah, it's, it's super interesting. Um... Uh, we'll, we'll provide links to this. We'll, we'll find the, the, the YouTube links and, and provide. Yeah. Yeah. So another uh, fun part of this podcast, Rob, is that we, we ask our guests to pair their theorem with something. And I, I assume that I assume you've, you're going to go with the same pairing from when our conversation back in, in Philadelphia. Oh, yes. Okay. What is <laughs> That's it? right. <laughs> My work is fueled by a certain liquid beverage. Yeah. <laughs> it's not wine. It's not beer. It's not whiskey. It's not even coffee, although I drink a whole lot of coffee. What really gets me through to that next level math is Monster. That's right. <laughs> Monster energy drink. Low carb, if you please, because sugar is not so good for you. Monster, on the other hand, is pretty great for me at any rate. I do not recommend it for people who are pregnant or have health problems, problems with heart, anything like this, people under the age of 18, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But for me, yeah, 
monster. Yeah, but, there's lots of empties in in your office too, like up up on the shelf there, which I'm sure have some significance. The 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 wall of shame. That's right. <laughs> yep. All those empty monster cans. See, definitely. I I can't get into the energy drinks. I don't I don't I don't know. Is so. I mean, I, I know you're also fond of of scotch. I know, but um, does that does that help bring you down uh, from the monster, or is it? Uh... That's a that's a rare treat. Yeah, that's a, a rare, rare treat. Yeah, it should be. Yeah, 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 it should be. Yep. So when, when did your obsession with monsters start? Does this, does this go back to grad school, or did it even exist when we were in grad school? Rob and I are roughly the same age, so did were, right. were energy so, drinks a thing when we were in grad school? I don't remember. Them. No, no, yeah. I didn't. Uh, I didn't have them until gosh, what sometime within the past decade. I think it was when I was first working on that that old calculus MOOC. Like mm-hmm. uh, what was that? Six years ago. Sure. Um, yeah. Six, seven years ago is when I was doing that. Yep. Uh, that was difficult. That was difficult work. Had to make a lot of videos in a short amount of time. And yep, the monster was great. I would love to get some corporate sponsorship from them. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe try pitch extreme math. I don't know. I don't think that's going to work. I don't know. I think it's a good angle, right? I mean, you know, they, they have this uh, like the monster truck business, right? So there, there is this sort of whole extreme sports kind of thing. So why not? You know? Yeah, I'm sure they're just looking for a math podcast to sponsor. That's definitely next on their branding strategy. That's I right. Bet. Yeah. So, <laughs> but not us. They should sponsor you, Rob, because you're you're the true consumer here. You know, fortune favors the bold. I'd I'd be willing to uh, I'd be willing to hold up a can and say, if you're not drinking Monster, you're only proving lemmas, <laughs> or something like that. You've thought this through. You've got I've their uh, their pitch already. Uh, or their their slogan already made. That's right. That's right. Yep. All right. Excellent. So we also like to give our guests a chance to uh, to to pitch their projects. Um, uh, would you like to tell us about Calculus Blue? Oh, absolutely. This is uh, the the thing that I am currently working on is a set of videos for multivariable calculus. This. Um, I'm I'm viewing this as something like a video text, a V text instead of an E text, where I have a bunch of videos explaining topics in multivariable calculus that are arranged in chapters. They're broken up into small chunks, you know, roughly five minutes per video. These are up on my YouTube channel. There's a there's another oh I don't know five or six hours worth of videos that are going to drop sometime in the next week covering multivariate integration. This is a lot of fun. I'm having a ton of fun doing some 3D drawing, 3D animation. Multivariable calculus is just great for that kind of visualization. This semester I'm going to use the the videos. Uh, to teach multivariable calculus at Penn in a in a flipped manner, and experiment with how well that works, and then it'll be available for anyone to use. Yeah, I'm looking forward to these. I see the I see the previews on Twitter, um, and the, they really are spectacular. How how long does any one of those videos take you? It seems like I mean I know you've gotten really good at uh, at the graphics packages that you you need to to create those things, but you know like a 10 minute video. How long does one of those things take to produce? I don't even want to say. Okay. I do. I do not even want to say no. I've been up since four o'clock this morning rendering video and compositing. Yeah, this is my day pretty much. <laughs> it's not easy, but it is worthwhile. Yeah. Well, I I, I agree. I mean, I I think um, you know, so so many so many of our colleagues, I think, kind of view calculus as this drudgery. But I 
I still love teaching it, and I know you do too. And I think Absolutely. It, and I think it's important because this is this is really a lot of what our job is as as academics, as professional mathematicians. Is yes, we're proving theorems, all that stuff. That's great, but you know, day in day out, we're teaching undergraduates, you know, introductory mathematics. That's that's a lot of what we do, and and I think it's really important to do it well. Well, and it can uh, help you know, bring people into math like it did for Rob. That's right. Exactly. That's exactly right. Controversial opinion, but, you know, you get these people out there who say, oh, calculus is outdated. We don't need that anymore. Just teach people uh, data analysis or statistics. I think that's a colossal error and that it's possible to take all of these classical ideas in calculus and just make them current, make them relevant, connect them to modern applications, and really reinvigorate the subject that you need to have a strong foundation in, in order to proceed. Absolutely. And I, I, you know, I try to mix the two. I try to bring data into calculus and say, you know, look, engineering students, you're mostly going to have data, but this stuff still applies. You know, calculus for me is a lot about approximation. Right, this whole, the whole Taylor series business. That's what it's for. Definitely. You know? And uh, really trying to get students to understand that is, is, is one of my main goals. Well, this has been great fun. Thanks for taking time out from uh, rendering video. Yeah, video <laughs> rendering. Too. Yes, I'm going to turn around and go right back to rendering as soon as we're done. That's right. You basically have a professional quality studio in your, in your basement, right? Is this how this works? This is, this is how it works. Been renovating, uh, oh, I don't know, it was about a year ago I started renovations and got a nice little studio up and running. Excellent. Do you have like foam on the walls and stuff like that? Do you... Yes, I'm, I'm touching the foam right now. Oh, touching excellent. the foam. All right. Yeah. So, so Elbow and I aren't that high tech. We, we've just now gotten to the sort of like multi-channel recording kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, well, we're doing this now, right? We're each recording our own audio. It's, I'm, I'm pleased with the results so far. But Well, Rob, thanks again. And uh, we yeah, appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure chatting. Thanks for listening to My Favorite Theorem, hosted by Kevin Knudsen and Evelyn Lamb. The music you're hearing is a piece called Fractalia, a percussion quartet performed by four high school students from Gainesville, Florida. They are Blake Crawford, Gus Knudsen, Del Mitchell, and Bao Chan Wen. You can find more information about the mathematicians and theorems featured in this podcast, along with other delightful mathematical treats, at Kevin's website, kpknudsen.com, and Evelyn's blog, Roots of Unity, on the Scientific American Blog Network. We love to hear from our listeners, so please drop us a line at myfavoritetheorem at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Kevin's handle on Twitter is at nivicnazdunk, that's Kevin spelled backwards, followed by Knudsen spelled backwards, and Evelyn's is at Evelyn J. Lamb. The show itself also has a Twitter feed. The handle is M-Y-F-A-V-E-T-H-M, that's at my favorite theorem. Join us next time to learn another fascinating piece of mathematics.